Hello everyone and welcome to Stock Club. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to take a moment to talk about our new sponsor, Vodafone, specifically Vodafone Business, which is a lifeline to Irish businesses, big and small. As a company, Vodafone is relentlessly innovative, continually investing in its award-winning network named Best in Test for eight years running by Umlat, who measure and certify the best networks. They've been at the forefront of connectivity for decades at this stage, being the first to market with 3G, 4G and 5G, and now they're harnessing the power of 5G multi-private networks to unlock the potential of businesses. Vodafone Business isn't just your key provider for mobile and broadband services. They're constantly evolving, becoming a technology partner, guiding small Irish businesses on their digital journey with a suite of market-leading digital services and business apps. Through their Connected Communities initiative in partnership with the Government of Ireland and their Gigabit Hubs partnership with Syro, they're creating a digital society where nobody is left behind, enabling local SMEs to compete on a global level. Vodafone's purpose rings clear to connect for a better future and when it comes to businesses they truly enable Irish companies to grow, thrive and navigate the digital world offering digital advice and solutions alongside their robust mobile network and broadband. So whether you're starting out, scaling up or looking to go global, Vodafone Business is there for you supporting, innovating and connecting. Okay let's dive into the show. Anne-Marie, Emmett, welcome to another episode of Stock Club in uh, what will be described as normal reality soon because we <laughs> are moving on to the next frontier. It wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't the next frontier of tech when Facebook was doing it, but now that Apple is doing it, it's the next yeah, big thing. And that right. is virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, whichever way you want to call it, I suppose. Um, so for people who don't know, Apple just launched probably its first major product update basically in the last 10 years. Uh, this week at its Worldwide Developers Conference, which is the Mixed Reality Headset Division Pro. Available to buy early next year, these futuristic-looking ski goggles are on the market <laughs> for three and a half grand. And most importantly for me and you, Emmett, it's adjustable to fit all head shapes and sizes, so our <laughs> big melons will be okay. Yeah. <laughs> Emmett, tell us a bit about the launch. What's the reaction been like? I know it's expensive, and I don't think the battery is great, but... In terms of the general feedback around what is, you know, Apple doesn't do these product launches every day, you know? No, you're right. And as you said, it's not uh, that this device is completely new to our consciousness. And Facebook had a first and earlier attempt at something similar. And I was actually an early-ish adapter of the Oculus, which is uh, Meta's uh, VR headset. Uh, and I bought one in May 2018 for 219 euro. Uh, sorry, May 2018. Did I just say that? So I bought it in May 2018 for 219 euro. And certainly from a first impact perspective, it just knocked my socks off. I mean, for a start, there was a total immersive gaming where you shoot zombies for example, and, and other games that would honestly make you jump. And there was a real genuine sense of fear created. And that's just not me, by the way. I had friends over um, and they also were like genuine quaking in their boots when they were playing the zombie game on the Oculus, which was a very cheap device. And honestly, I'm no scaredy cat. And truthfully, if there is a zombie apocalypse, 
it's me that you want to be with. I know <laughs> you, what to do. I have prepped. spent years preparing for this with movies, <laughs> dramas on TV, games, PlayStation. So I'm your man. Anyway, there was there was a lot of other apps for the Oculus that created, for example, uh, like simulated roller coasters where you actually had to take the headset off to stop feeling sick. And even in another use case, I saw a video of a snooker player called Ronnie O'Sullivan, who is widely regarded as one of the most talented and accomplished players in the sports history. But anyway, Ronnie O'Sullivan uh, put on one of these Oculus headsets and immediately assumed the immersive experience inside a VR world where he, he put it on, his brain was instantly deceived. He went to lean on the snooker table that he could see, which clearly wasn't there in the real world, and he fell to the ground. Have a look at it on YouTube, it's a laugh, it's only 17 seconds. But that's how quickly, like, uh, this experience engulfs your consciousness. You see it, your whole life for decades, you've been programmed to respond to what you see and what you hear, and then suddenly you've been deceived. And I, uh, and I can tell you, it is a breakthrough. Like, the, like virtual reality tricks your mind instantly in the millisecond and and uh so I, I actually another quick anecdote before i start talking about the question that you asked me was that <laughs> the second greatest snooker player of all time stephen henry who <laughs> <laughs> was widely regarded as the second greatest snooker player of all time. um so uh, he wasn't uh, tricked by the oculus he he, he, he didn't buy in <laughs> that's right so anyway um like not long before my mom rest her soul passed away she i put the oculus on her and i said and she got to experience the giant golden buddha at the temple of something or other in bangkok thailand and uh, like watching her in the temple as it were and she was very frail at that time was something i'll always remember like she was young again for a few minutes so really it's a, it's quite a magical technology it's actually tech technology wise it's quite simple but let's let's not go there right so apple un unveiled their vision pro as you said which is their first gen AOR device augmented reality device and for the sake of those new to all of this vr such as the oculus as i described blocks out light from the real world it's immersive you're inside a cinema effectively a 360 degree cinema um apple's vision pro is augmented reality not virtual reality so it looks like a pair of ski goggles with light from the real world passing through as is the case with ski goggles and uh with dog Augmented reality, you actually see where you are. So if you're sitting in your kitchen, you see the kitchen. Then with a gesture, uh, all of Apple's apps that you're used to seeing appear in front of you as if floating in the air. So in its first, if the first difference between Oculus is VR versus Apple, which is AR, then the next difference that I would describe is you control Apple's device with hand gestures, with your voice, with your eyes, you don't have to hold a peripheral. So um, the Oculus, you either have one or two paddles and you interact with it, whereas Apple's device, you just blink your eyes and pinch your, your fingers into thin air and, and things happen. So no handheld peripherals. Now, these apps that appear up into your field of view, they cast shadows like on the furniture in the room where you're sitting. Um, so in the words of Apple, they look, sound and feel as if they're physically there. But obviously enough, they've reimagined how all of these apps look and function. And the, the device is also a 3D camera. So you can capture things in a whole new way 
that's very science fiction to be honest what was that movie with tom cruise where he, he intercepted crimes before they happened oh, you know he, um, minority report uh yes or was it infinity report yeah minority report that's right where yeah, he was just yeah. kind of moved. and it really looks like we're there from a tech perspective or the iron man he puts the thing in front of him and just moves. oh that's there. right exactly yeah, that's yeah, a better yeah. example well look this yoke also connects to your macbook so when you look at your macbook a book its screen becomes effectively like a cinema screen and you can transform your surrounds which is really pretty cool so example if you feel like you're sitting uh, you can feel like you're sitting on a mountaintop as opposed to, I don't know, in the passport office waiting two hours to get called to a window or whatever. You're like off in a lovely Zen environment. Uh, what else can I tell you? It's tethered to a small battery that uh, conveniently fits in your pocket. Like Steve Jobs would have loved that. Hey, look, Steve, the battery fits in your pocket. Hey, good thinking team. By the way, you're all fired. Get out, except you, Mick. You can stay. Did you bring your homemade beer? Um, like, <laughs> like the, I, I honestly, like, it's a cool looking yoke, but you're like, ah, here, like uh, this cable hanging down your back into your back pocket. It just yeah, wasn't and, very Jobs. And only two hour battery life as well, which is. Oh, right. Very not yeah. Steve Jobs, I think. It, it, it seems like it's an MVP. Um, yeah. if that makes sense and it's come out and it's not maybe going to reach mass critical mass with the first go but it's yeah. like we are and I feel bad for Facebook because Facebook has been doing this for years but Apple yeah. is the big elephant in the room and it's like oh when we say it's when we say this is what people are going to do this is what people are going to do and so I think that's kind of almost kicking off or legitimizing an industry we'll say this is true I mean like honestly five years ago when I got the Oculus I put it on I broadcast netflix or switch on the netflix app it's as big as an imac cinema screen and that's what i like about apple's version i get onto the price in a moment which i if i can hark but i think that's actually what you asked me about so i just <laughs> went off but um I'll, i'm coming back to that point so um i did like this use case where you're sitting on a plane and there is this giant cinema as a as opposed to a tiny little crappy screen that you've preloaded, you know, 2015's episodes of Mad Men onto it just is so undignified. We need to move forward as a human race. We need a bigger screen. Um, Technology isn't and, enough. Fly at 6,000 know feet. Because you know yeah. what's dignified? Wearing ski goggles on a plane. Back in a <laughs> yeah, this is true. Well, I have Row to say... Row 42, that's... ski goggles on. Well, it's probably the only place I think where you'd accept someone has gone off into their own little AR world. And now you have an IMAX in your carry-on luggage. Now, inside inside this Vision Pro, they've loads of tech, like tons of tech, and they they went some time, spent some time at their uh, launch event talking about tech, as they usually do. And most people are like, "Oh, that's nice. Does it work?" And um, I found it interesting that there's this new zero latency chip, trip uh, chip, which means that like round trip times are instant. But to your very first question, Mike, um, the difference between it and the entry level Oculus is the vision. Pro is going to retail. I think you said for what three, four, uh, three and a half grand. Is that that's what three and a half grand? Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And it won't be. You can't purchase this thing till twenty twenty four. And for comparison's sake, Meta announced its Quest three last week at a price point of five hundred bucks, four ninety nine. Its Quest two is retailing for two hundred ninety nine. So Meta's high performance headset. Um, 
which let's not even talk about because I want to make a silly example, but their, their highest price point is, is one and a half grand and, and it actually is discounted and all these retailers. But if you come from a traditional Irish family with nine kids, you can buy them all a Quest 2 and still have change for a weekend holiday for less than one, one Vision Pro. Like, I mean, it's a crazy price tag, but look, Apple is the king of tech luxury that you use all the time and they already know this and you know they they you can just imagine the testing the price testing uh that they've done and they already know how many of these units are going to sell into their base and as you rightfully said it's gen one it's it's their uh, mvp and and just like the very first watch or first iphone first imac you name it as the years go by they're on the road now and 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 very shortly what's kind of a fairly chunky pair of ski glasses i can only expect we'll get slimmer more elegant more acceptable to walk down the street and probably won't have the jobsy and battery hanging off the back in your back pockets <laughs> yeah i mean we're also talking about the company that was selling a a laptop cloth for like 50 dollars or something so you know we shouldn't be too they surprised yeah, isn't there that famous like uh, cloth you use to clean your laptop screen they're selling for like 50 quid or something what yeah. <laughs> we're in the wrong um, business that's just nuts <laughs> but I, I think this is a good opportunity to actually ask someone, a, a user of VR, AR, mixed reality, whatever you want to call it. What's your, like, this doesn't have to be too in-depth or anything, but what's your take mm. on the technology? Is Do you think, I put in the notes here, next big thing or expensive ski goggles or somewhere in between? Yeah, well, you know, I'll tell you one thing. Considering five years ago, I bought something as impressive as I described for 200 quid, like three and a half grand is really out there. And this is the strength of the Apple brand. Of course, a whole pile of people will buy it who never bought an Oculus. Um, and I'm not saying it's like for like with the Oculus, but the tech, um, mm, it's not 100 miles from it. The translucent visor is quite advanced compared to just a closed uh, left and right retinal screen but um i do think that it's uh they will manage to you know shift quite a few of them and to to those who try it they will go wow this is breakthrough when in fact you know let me tell you something weedabix the 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 uk my my my, my hero is brian may brian may is the guitarist of queen he's always been my hero and he's uh, a man of many talents and and apart from being queen's guitarist he's a physicist um which is something uh i wouldn't even be, be so bold as to compare myself to him in any respect but we've common interests and when he was a kid he got a thing in um in cereal in a box of cereal which was quite the trend in the 50s 60s and 70s that Kellogg's and friends would put a tiny little toy in the box and it was like a uh, 3d photography kit where 3d photography means you kind of take two photographs of the same thing separated by some like three inches and then when you hold the two at a suitable distance from your eye the picture assumes a 3d depth uh, when you get used to it and this technology if you like is exactly what has been around since they were given out for nothing inside a box of Weedabix in 1960 
It's just got a fancy headset. And you used to get it free with a whole pile of dried out wheat. Now it's like, oh, look at this. It's got this wonderful, uh, it's, te it's tethered to a battery so small it can fit in your back pocket in terms of condition supply. Like that's just like, come on, give me a break. You got this for nothing in Weedabix once upon a time. Go to Brian May's Instagram. And you can sit there looking at lovely 3D photographs. All they've done is just upscale that a bit. So look, you know, technology marches forward. Three and a half grand is, uh, absolute premium pricing um and and when i looked at some of the stuff they said about how the cushion fits your head i was like give me a break but you know what i bet you'll own within a year or two <laughs> that's a great sign off on that right? um, but amory i'm moving to you now because we've mentioned meta or facebook about six times already mm -hmm. and i this this story can't go without a proper dive into it so Big talk has been around Meta. They changed their name to Meta for the Metaverse. They pumped 50 billion into this. And now Apple is kind of, I said it before, maybe legitimizing the industry a bit or legitimizing the market. Could this weirdly be seen as a good thing for Meta? Like, did Apple, did Facebook need Apple to recognize it as the next big thing for it to be taken seriously? Or is it falling back to type and Apple is just going to come in and eat Facebook's lunch even before they ordered it? Yeah, that is an interesting question. I mean, I'm sure it's maybe similar to, do you remember back in the pandemic when Peloton came on the scene and became publicly listed and they were selling bikes like crazy? And then it brought along, you know, a tide will raise all boats. It brought along like a bunch of other weird little cycling companies and all of a sudden all their stocks were up as well. And these were cycling companies from the 1980s that hadn't sold a bike in 15 years or whatever. Um I sometimes think it might end up like that. And it might be because of the distinction that Emmett describes there between the VR and the AR. You know, there is something quite creepy about the Oculus, the way it kind of seals you in and you can't see people's eyes. There is something about that. And I, I read one analyst, he called the release of the Vision Pro the equivalent of Steve Jobs announcing the iPhone, which would go on to erase the BlackBerry. That was the comparison that this guy made. And I would actually say that's probably not a fair comparison. Oculus, in my view, has always been focused more on the gaming, more on the experience side of things. And its price point definitely reflects that. As Emmett said, he picked his up for $200. The latest one that's meant to come out is going to come out for $499, which is a pretty big step up from its last price points but that's still in and around you know an xbox or a playstation that's kind of the audience that they're targeting um that also seems to be where most of oculus's software development has gone i remember reading about the metaverse things that had been developed for the oculus and the communication aspects you know like the conferencing that was you know when mark zuckerberg got dragged on twitter because he was like the avatars now have legs you know like that was also baked into the oculus um and the big, big speed bump that both of those kind of sectors of the Oculus have faced is, number one, a lack of users, and number two, a lack of development. I remember there was a New York Times article about six months ago where they went on and they were speaking to someone who was using, like, a, a an Oculus VR environment to, like, just speak to random people, and they were like, oh, it's pretty lame because oftentimes you'll go into, like, a room or a place and there's just no one there because there's just not enough users. Um, and, you know, that's a very clear um, reflection of, of that stat that we've seen rehash over the last year that, oh, you know, Facebook has successfully sold 20 million Quest 2s, um, but 50% of those were unused six months after purchase. And that is so shocking that you could successfully sell someone on a device that's probably about $300. And then there just isn't enough stuff for them to do with it that they set it down after six months. 
like i remember getting at least a year and a half out of my nintendo ds <laughs> like mm. what happened there like six months is nothing um yeah. Apple, on the other hand, seems to be developing advice that is more targeted at kind of computing and how you would use your phone. And I think by broadening out that use case, that gives this a much wider potential audience. And I think that's really interesting. That even kind of came up when they were giving the keynote address. Something that they said was, oh, we have a bunch of third parties that are currently developing 3D apps to be used on this technology. And then they gave out a couple of names. And they gave Adobe, Cisco, and Microsoft you know, and like Microsoft does develop games, but all three of those are telling me like, hey, this is serious software. You know, imagine using like Adobe Photoshop in a 3D AR environment. Imagine the dynamics that would allow you to see. Imagine the layering that would allow you to see. Like that's quite interesting. That is, I don't know, it's just a much more valuable use case to me and a much more realistic one. You know, you might say oh, an individual isn't going to shell out $3,500 for this technology so they can ride a roller coaster. That's probably true. But if you're a huge animator and you work for Disney and you're working on a Pixar film and Apple is able to come to you and say, hey, like the latest iteration of your film could be made quicker because all of your designers can get into an AR environment and manipulate characters better. I think that's a pretty interesting use case for a $3,500 device. Um, And just kind of on top of that, I think the hardware also reflects just being a bit more realistic, you know, something that you could maybe wear every day hopefully not out in public um but you know like the vision pro is lighter you can see through it which i think is nice um people can also see your eyes when you're using it so you don't look like terminator um when you video (laughs) conference you look like yourself you're not a floating avatar with no legs it creates you know this dynamic 3d environment wherever you are i think that's very nice and also like the use of the cameras to allow you then to replicate what you see when you take image and video I think that's really interesting because it's less of this thing of, hey, let's jump into the metaverse, let's create this new world, and it's more how do we bridge the gap between the digital world and our actual world. And I think that is maybe a, a, a more interesting and a more realistic way to ease people into this. And yet, maybe down the line that does mean that, yes, the use case of the metaverse will be legitimated in 15 or 20 years, but probably, yeah, by that time, like Facebook will completely push out of the market by significantly cheaper Apple devices coming down the line. So, um, yeah, it's 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 really, really interesting. And I think probably the most important thing for Apple in terms of getting people on board with this is the fact that it's going to be integrated into the broader Apple iOS system. And think of how many people are already so dedicated to that. You know, it, it's, it's software is going to feel like using a Mac or using an iPhone. And so many people, that's the only way they know how to like use the internet or, or compute. And so I think that is going to be really interesting to see how fully it's integrated into that. So to kind of go back to that metaphor I mentioned at the top, you know, this is not the iPhone coming to take out the BlackBerry. In my view, this is almost like the original MacBook coming to take out like the N64. You know, I just think that the use case is so much broader and more interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I think it goes back to that, uh, that that the issue that's always been there with Facebook and Apple, where Apple is the gateway for Facebook. And if you're integrating the App Store into mixed reality, it, it, it's the same issue, just on a different platform. Yeah. Um, lastly, I just want to touch on a stock that popped the day of the announcement basically and that's Unity software. So Apple stated it's gonna be working closely with Unity with this headset. Um, so what do you what do you think, Emery? The stock is down about eighty percent from all time highs still, I might add, but yeah. Very much helped it's, by this announcement. Definitely like it's it's most other than Apple, I mean I think Unity is probably a bigger beneficiary from this announcement than Apple itself. Maybe I mean, maybe the greatest beneficiary is probably going to be eye doctors. I'm sure they're loving the idea that people are going to be strapped to screens two inches from the retinas. I'm sure they're psyched. Long, long spec savers is the call. 
Yeah, we like LASIK eye surgery is going to be everyone. We have to get two year top ups. Like that's what's going to happen. So, um, <laughs> but it does look like things are going to go pretty well for for Unity. Susan Prescott, who's Apple's vice president of worldwide developer relations, said during her keynote speech, "We know there is a community of developers who have been building incredible 3D apps for years. Today, we are excited to share that we've been working with Unity to bring those apps to the Vision Pro, so popular Unity based games and apps can gain full access to Vision OS features such as pass through, high resolution rendering, and native gestures." Unity in response then said with vision os and unity's polyspatial technology we can't wait to see the new apps and games unity developers will create for the vision pro so really this is kind of bolstering that long-term uh tailwind for unity you know everyone always when they talk about this stock always says ar and vr is coming 3d rendering is coming we know that this is on the horizon movies will be made with this in 25 years or whatever that's a very long kind of uh, investment thesis but to actually see a device now come to the public that the public seems excited about it it, it does make it seem like yes do you know what there will be a demand for this type of software so software developers will turn their attention towards the space which means that they will use unity so yeah like i think in terms of of the long-term investment thesis it is interesting um that being said, like Unity's kind of short-term outlook is still risky as ever. It's always been a risky stock. You know, it IPO'd in the midst of 2020. It's always been kind of up and down. Um, it's one of those companies that had a massive pandemic pull forward and was still kind of waiting to see where it's going to end up. Um, its dollar-based net retention dropped considerably. At like some point in like 2021, it was doing like 140% net dollar retention. That's crazy. It's now about to 107, which is still very impressive. We love to see that in a software company. But, you know, it's, there is just a kind of a slow up. Um, however, it did raise prices last quarter and didn't see much of a retention issue there. So obviously, once people start using this tech, they're kind of stuck with it. So that's always good to see it. You know, I'm more excited by that idea of thinking there's going to be this incredible Apple collaboration coming down the line. Um, but it's also in the midst of integrating two big acquisitions that had Weta and Iron Source. And because of the Iron Source acquisition, they took on a bit more debt than we would have liked. It, it was a, a financed by stock, but then they bought back stock to help, you know, offset the difference. So I think right now they're sitting with like $1.6 in cash, but they have $2.7 in debt, which is, you know, it's not exactly where you'd want to be, but with the price to sale sitting right now at about seven and this kind of, I don't know, if you have a well-balanced portfolio and you have a long-term appetite, it could be a nice, could be an interesting high-risk, high-reward player. Mm, yeah, I like the sound of that. Um, yeah. Okay, so if you like listening to us, you're going to love reading from us. Remember, we are delivering to your inbox one of the most unique products on the market and it's completely free. No one else is covering the markets we covered with Charging Affairs, where we deliver to you a new weekly stock pitch that could be from Amsterdam, Tokyo, Paris, or anywhere in between. In fact, you're going to hear all about our most recent pitch at the end of the show. So that is a completely free stock pitch every week. You'll have a red in 30 seconds, and we can almost guarantee most of these companies are going to be brand new to you, which is where you can get an edge. Sign up now in the show notes for this episode. Okay, right. We are back with everyone's favorite new section of a podcast uh, big deal or no big deal I'm going to throw out a few headlines from the past week or so and you're going to tell me why it's a big deal or why it's not a big deal uh, I hope that's very simple um, Emmett I'm going to start with you I've got PagerDuty's stock dive 17% on tepid annual revenue guidance amid an uncertain economy as an investor in PagerDuty how concerned are you about this report big deal or no big deal as investors, specifically long-term investors, Mike, we really have to get used to the fact that quarter on quarter we're either gonna it's a it's a two-way system. Everyone will either be happy or unhappy. And this wasn't a great report from PagerDuty. I would say it's no big deal, but I acknowledge in the short term, which 
let's just call three years it's a medium deal i mean like what basically is like the the macroeconomic concerns means that buyers are hesitating they're scrutinizing the deal sizes that pager duty duty is getting at the moment are smaller um but in reality i think that um it's product is positioned perfectly in a unique um, environment to make sure that it succeeds over the long term. Um, like up until this point, pager duty has consistently exceeded expectations. Um, but this definitely dented investors' confidence. But I do see it as a temporary setback, um, especially when you consider that their mission-critical software um, is is well regarded in the entire industry and there's going to be new demands driven by the current ai boom so i'm not worried about pager duty and i will say that considering we are 20 plus year investors it's no big deal yeah and i think you touched on it there because it's been so consistent i suppose the drop in guidance came as a bit of a shock to investors because you Mm, last maybe four quarters you could kind of set your watch to it yeah Um, okay and i noticed the ceo by the way jen Tasia, to I, I'm never too clear on how to pronounce it, but she she um she she was selling shares a few weeks ago, um, so she obviously got a little bit spooked herself. But I've noticed her do that in the past, and to be perfectly honest, uh, the vast vast majority of our wealth still remains in pager duty stock. So um, good luck to her if she takes some money off the table to buy a new island, <laughs> new island just casually. <laughs> uh, okay. Marie, for you, I don't really have a headline because it's about four headlines in one. Um, but the gist is basically the SEC is suing both Binance and Coinbase, claiming both have been running illegal, unregistered security exchanges. Uh, I suppose we can make up our own headline if you want. SEC declares war on crypto. We'll go with, um, unless you have better ones. I have one. I have two. I have coin debased, <laughs> which is, that's only for Coinbase. But wait, 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 wait. Better. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's the SEC. <laughs> mm, I, I like coin debased. Um, right. You're obviously right. not a Swifty, Mike. You need to completely that was quite, get yeah. yourself Ugh. culturized. I'll go with Apparently. the Swifty one. Uh, big deal um, or no big deal, Amory? Seems like I'm going with huge, big deal. Anyways. Huge deal. Yeah, I think it's a huge deal. This is probably going to set the stage. Huge, for massive the- pile of stinking deal. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to set the stage for like the future of crypto trading in the United States and probably globally, as we know that the U.S. tends to set, you know, securities laws in place and that tends to influence the rest of the world. Um, really, what's happened here is the SEC turned around to pretty much every exchange and said, you're selling unlicensed securities. And now though all these, particularly Coinbase, has said, well, we're a public entity. You approved us to trade publicly two years ago. And the SEC is going, well, we've changed our mind. So um, interesting, SEC Chair Gary Gensler said these trading platforms, they call themselves exchanges, are uh, commingling a number of functions. We don't see the New York Stock Exchange operating a hedge fund. We allege that Coinbase and Binance, despite being subject to the securities laws, unlawfully offered exchange, broker, dealer, and clearinghouse functions. Uh, they're also going after the fact that um, they kind of sell these the staked services. So Coinbase basically said, oh, if you own um, any type of crypto, you can stake it and you basically earn interest. Uh, it is That's actually a key way that Coinbase makes money. Uh, SEC said that's illegal. Um, Binance issues its own cryptocurrencies. SEC said that's illegal. You shouldn't be doing that. Um, that's actually quite interesting because Binance came out to the SEC and they said, no, like nothing we do is, is, is unregistered. Everything is fine. And then... <laughs> 
when the SEC went digging and went looking for information, uh, they found an email from Binance's compliance officer that said, we are operating a unlicensed securities exchange in the United States, bro. So unfortunately, oh, Binance kind of incriminated themselves. Yeah, don't put it in writing. No. So, um, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to watch uh, what's going to happen here. Um, I saw some analysts basically say that particularly Binance is fighting tooth and nail because what's going to end up happening is if the SEC puts its foot down, Binance is just going to have to go out of business. Like, there's no way for them to get around this and be a functioning operational business that makes any kind of money. Um, Coinbase seems a little bit more set up, but even then, like, it's going to drastically change a number of, of, of facets of, of their business. So certainly one to watch. Yeah, absolutely. It, it really does seem like they're basically outlawing crypto in the US. And, and the yeah. after effects, we don't know. Maybe it'll be centralized somewhere else or whatever, but there is an absolute target on Binance, Coinbase, Bittrex, I think was another one. Yeah. And, and, and you can't question the timing either. This is all coming in the wake of FTX and like crypto tanking yeah. and all the faith lost in it. I, I think it's very tactical uh, yeah. how it all came about. Okay, Emmett, um, you're looking at an old favorite. Lululemon shares surge after reporting 24% sales growth, raising full year guidance. Yoga pants yeah. never go out of style, apparently. Big deal or no big deal? Well, over here in Ireland, we call pants trousers. I don't know if that's... <laughs> A bit old world you know i wear trousers and they're very anatomically considered as we discussed here in the show recently lululemon make great although most trousers i think are anatomically considered but anyway uh, lululemon yeah it's a bit like pager duty like look we are long-term investors and what i did like about lululemon's uh most recent report was that it experienced growth across all of its segments, every single one of them. The women's segment was up 22%, men's is up 17%, accessories up 67%, uh, store comp sales increased 16%, e-commerce grew 18%, um, and but the highlight was international growth, North America up 17%, but international up 60%, including 79% increase in China. Um, and as you said, the net upshot was an, an improved or they increased the revenue guidance for 2022. I think it's their financial year 2022. Um, so, the, so the company's brand strength, its consumer connection, its membership program, all these kind of things have really contributed to its success. And it's a company I bought, oh God, 100 years ago and sold 99 years ago, along with Mercado Libre. I just wish I never sold. Uh, like my autobiography is going to be really, really boring. I'm sure everybody knows that, but it's just going to say, I wish I never sold. And then I'm just going to grumble and complain about all the stocks I sold. Anyway, look, Lululemon, big deal, no big deal. It's good news in the short term, just as pager duty is not good news in the short term, but it's no big deal. It's just what they do. It's 12 weeks of trading activity. It can hardly be um, regarded as either when you take a 20 plus year horizon. Okay. Remind me to come up with something other than earnings reports for this for you next week, Emmett, because you're not, <laughs> you're not giving them a lot of attention. Uh, okay. Lastly, uh, Amory from the New York Times, a 59% drop in Twitter's US ad sales is a major hit to its main revenue stream. Big deal or no big deal? Uh, big deal. I'd say it's a pretty expensive deal for Elon Musk. Uh, we also saw Fidelity write down its stake in the company. So Twitter is now officially worth one third of what Elon Musk paid for it a year ago. That's a pretty hard pill to swallow. Um, 
it seems i believe and like i've seen other people say this that it's probably all down to content filtration at this point i don't know about you guys but when i use twitter these days like so much of the stuff i see is just crap or it's just reposted or it's you know it's stuff that you would not normally have come into contact with and i know it's elon musk going on his tangent about it's free speech it's blah blah blah. no it's ruining the platform it's making it very difficult to find stuff that you're actually interested in and it means that like people are just not interested in selling ads on the platform um that also meant that elon musk did come out and say they're trying to drive twitter bankrupt which i think there's one person driving twitter (laughs) bankrupt yeah is are they in the room with us because it's you (laughs) mr musk um yeah so basically a bunch of ex-twitter staffers also said that looking at these numbers it is highly unlikely that this is going to improve over the next year or so additionally like twitter is strapped for staff at the minute like we know this they've laid off a number of employees they're not hiring i would say any kind of concerns or their ability to address advertisers concerns around content i'd say they probably can't fix like i'd say that that's something that you know a sophisticated content team would have to come in and work on and make adjustments for um and i don't think those people are in place anymore so wasn't um, there wasn't there a thing where musk was like oh we're bringing in loads of new features you know you your ads won't appear beside certain topics and stuff and all the advertisers are like yeah i'd love to not appear anywhere near your tweets yeah that was like the biggest one of the biggest requests which is which is funny and also (laughs) just like the type of ads that they're now capable of bringing in it's all like online gambling stuff marijuana like it just i don't know it just kind of stokes the environment on twitter of it just being like where your friend's annoying little brother hangs out you're just like oh i don't want to try and like sell anything good over here like they're not going to appreciate it so um yeah i'd say this is kind of make or break i would say for twitter i don't know how much like runway they're going to get out if they like musk whole thing was like i can make it profitable this will be so easy but if you can't make it profitable i don't know how the company will survive to be honest no especially considering musk has what like 12 billion uh in loans to pay off or something like that yeah and isn't yeah. it it's it's um back to his tesla stock which so. is which is tanked so he probably has to put up even yeah. more yeah yeah it gives a bit of legs to uh the story we we're talking about last week with instagram trying to bring in yeah. a competitor maybe it won't be a competitor maybe it'll just be the replacement a replacement yeah and it yeah. probably won't be that good but we'll be like well, well where am gone. i where where am i supposed to put my passive thoughts <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should keep them inside that's what most people do <laughs> journal sales are going to explode what do we have out of this journal sales and eye doctors okay yep um all right let's close out the show with a special elevator pitch so this was teased from last week uh and Mm -hmm. it is one of our it's our most recent charging and fearless pick as well so amory what have you got for us yeah this is like such a it's such an interesting company it's such a like funny little company i had like never even considered this company's main product to be a product you know when like you're so used to seeing something you're just like mm, i so I, I assume that appeared on earth um but the company we're talking about is ses Imotag. um it's a french company and they create electronic shelf labels uh, and that's essentially you see them a lot in france and spain there are basically nowhere in the united states um they seem to have quite good penetration in continental Europe. I think it's around 30 or 40 percent. Um, but it's it's basically a tiny little electronic label that sits on the shelf and it allows for dynamic pricing, meaning that, you know, 
you're if you're a Walmart and Walmart headquarters sends you out your prices every week, it means you can literally just plug that information into a computer and within a couple of seconds, all of the price tags will change. Um, and that is a super annoying job for employees at grocery stores. I'm sure they would love to do literally anything else. Um, and so, yeah, it saves a bunch of time, frees up people, and uh, it's credited with increasing margins by upwards of 5% which that's pretty good because in-person retail is a, is a pretty tough environment to be in. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a pretty fast growing company. I mean, the reason it caught my attention particularly, they have, they're a member of a duopoly, but they have far and away the largest market share in continental Europe, but they are beginning to just creep into America. And the, the thing that caught my attention the most is they have signed an agreement with Walmart and Walmart wants to run a trial in 500 stores. And I was shocked to find out that this trial of 500 stores means that Imitag had to provide six million tags that is shocking think of how many items are in a walmart store um but essentially this trial is going to go on for this year if it goes well we could foreseeably see this company provide tags to the largest retailer on the planet that could be a huge growth wind um yeah so i was just it's such a nice little company it's growing really really well uh its sales growth for this year was 47 percent. that's nice to see insider ownership of 13 percent. that's a perfect little sweet spot um market cap of 2.5 million billion dollars 2.3 billion euros um and an enterprise value of 2.6 billion unfortunately though which is such a huge bummer is usually when we pitch european stocks or we pitch really any type of stock um that comes to me across the globe we always like to to try and bring you ones that have an adr meaning you can buy them in dollars on a on an on an over-the-counter exchange in the united states it just makes it easier for most people to access stocks Unfortunately, Sesimitag does not have an ADR or a foreign ordinary, so you have to buy it on the Euronext Paris, which is where it trades, um, which it's just inconvenient. It might be more difficult than it is worth for most kind of casual investors, but it's just such a cool little company. I like it so much. Mm, I think that's why maybe it's so under the radar as well, is that there's no investor yeah. attention on it because the volumes difference between anywhere in Europe and the States is huge. Yeah, and it's really unfortunate because there actually was a foreign ordinary up until about three or four months ago, but the supervising bank that was running it determined it wasn't worthwhile because, yeah, there wasn't interest, there wasn't a trading volume. You know, the only way that, that the banks who oversee foreign ordinaries or ADRs make money is by people buying the stock because then they get to take a very, very tiny percentage. Um, and that's a real shame because it's just a, yeah, it's just a solid little stock. It's such a funny little idea. Um it's, got, it's got a Peter Lynch business written all over it. One of these boring, yeah. you would never think of it. And then it's like, oh, wait, that is actually genius. And what you said, not a monopoly, but a duopoly, you know, Yep. everything, everything lined up for it. So very interesting. Yeah. Um, and I like it a lot. I mean, I said in the concluding statement of the email, like it's something it's estimated like in-person retail has a net margin of between one and three percent. That is terrible. You know, I think this is such an easy sell to most businesses. If you can come in and say, hey, like we can we can help bolster that margin. We can get you up closer to five percent. I'd say most people would say, yeah, I'll take that deal. And I'll tell you what, it's got a nice little recurring revenue model because they sell the software to maintain the tags, which is great. Um, but I'm always so struck by when I go to France particularly in Paris, like you see these electronic labeling, like not just in like big, big shops, you know, not in the equivalent of a Tesco or a Target or whatever. They're in like corner stores. So they must like be effective and interesting and worthwhile enough that like even these tiny, tiny shops are saying, do you know what? We'll bring in these electronic tags. Yeah, that's worthwhile. It probably means you can have one less employee, to be honest, because you can just handle everything from a central computer. Um, yeah, but it's a really lovely, interesting business. Uh, if you want to see the full write-up, you can see it. You can sign up to Charging and Fearless, and then you get access to the webpage. It hosts all of the past emails. You can go have a look and see all of its all of its financials. 
It's great. And that's strategy and fairness. That'll be in our show notes for this episode if you do want to sign up. And before we finish up, I just want to have a quick word from our friends at Vodafone Business. They're our new sponsors for this pod. So, you know, I used to think Vodafone Business merely as a reliable provider for my mobile and broadband needs, but they've stepped up their game yet again. Do you know now they offer a whole array of digital apps from productivity tools and security solutions to IT support and even website builders. It's truly transformed the way I see them. They're no longer just a telecoms provider. They're a comprehensive technology partner helping you navigate the digital landscape with these. Vodafone's mission has always been to connect for a better future, and they're doing just that for Irish businesses. They're really stepping up to help businesses grow and flourish in an increasingly digital world, offering insightful digital advice and cutting-edge solutions on top of their dependable network and broadband services. So if you're on a digital journey yourself, remember Vodafone Business is there to support, guide, and empower you every step of the way. Empower you. that's it for today's show, folks. Uh, thanks, Emmett and Anne-Marie, very much for joining me. And thanks very much for listening. Remember, if you have any questions or you'd like us to tackle any elevator pitches, get in touch. You can find us on Twitter at MyWallStreetHQ, on TikTok at MyWallStreet, or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. If you're enjoying the show, share it with your friends, leave a review, do all that good stuff. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.